Welcome to the Go and Teach Bible Study program presented by the Monta Vista Church of Christ in Phoenix, Arizona. We want to thank you for joining us today as we examine the truth of God's Word and the answers it holds to life's most important questions. If you have questions about this lesson or would like to study further, please contact us at montavistacoc.com. Now let's open our Bibles and study God's Word together. Thank you for joining me on the Go and Teach radio program. My name is Ryan Goodwin. I preach for the Monte Vista Church of Christ here in Phoenix, Arizona. If there's any questions that you have about our program today, or about the Bible, or our church at Monte Vista, then please let us know, and we'd love to sit down and have a Bible study with you and talk about those things. Now, it doesn't take long when you look around this country to realize that we are very blessed. It's undeniable that we have much more, even in some of the most destitute parts of our land, than many countries do in their finest. Our standard of living is one of the highest in the world, and aside from what it may feel like at times, our unemployment and inflation rates are ahead of only a few countries. We have excellent hospitals, high life expectancy, food in such abundance that we often throw it out by the ton, and so much space in our homes that we might spend an entire lifetime filling it with possessions that we hardly ever use. In almost every sense of the phrase, we live in a land of plenty. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with having an abundance. God didn't create us for the purpose of being miserable. He doesn't expect us to take some vow of poverty or live like Stoics. And even affirms happily through the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 2 that there is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. The writer goes on to say, This also I have seen, that it is from the hand of God, for who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? There's no sin in looking upon one's accomplishments and the fruit of his labor and feeling content with that. Furthermore, we're told in Ecclesiastes 5 verse 19, As for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he's also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. Even the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, who some probably assert was a man who relished in his poverty, admits that he had the ability to live quite happily in times of plenty. In Philippians 4 verse 12 in your New Testament, Paul wrote, I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having an abundance and suffering need. So Paul admits that there were times where he was living in humble circumstances, where he was deprived and hungry, and he could be content in those circumstances. But he also says there were times of plenty. There were times where I had plenty of food. I even had an abundance. And I learned to be content in those circumstances as well. While it's entirely possible, as Paul illustrates, to be content in whatever situation we happen to find ourselves It's difficult, because both wealth and poverty come with inherent downsides. Those who are rich will always want more, and they may have the tendency to put abundance of possessions 
ahead of an abundant relationship with God. And this isn't just about money either, since we see people put many of the manifestations of wealth ahead of God. Homes, food, clothes, various collections. How about cars or motorized recreational vehicles? Abundance distracts us from serving God and makes us feel great pain, internal, spiritual pain that is, just like an overfilled stomach will wreak havoc for hours or even days. On the opposite side of the spectrum is complete poverty, which tends to distract us just as much. If you think that only rich people care about wealth, just talk to anybody who suffers from poverty and you find out very quickly that an obsession with wealth affects all people on the economic spectrum, rich and poor. A lack of abundance becomes an obsession and we fall in love with self-pity or the pursuit of wanting more and more and more. There's a great passage of scripture in Proverbs chapter 30, beginning in verse 7. Two things I have asked of thee, speaking to God, do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me. And in verse 8, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. So the writer of Proverbs chapter 30 acknowledges there's a danger on both ends of the spectrum. If you're very, very rich and your stomach is full of food and you have everything that you want, if you're a very content person and you're surrounded by riches, well, you might deny God and say, who is the Lord? Who needs God when you can take care of yourself? Who needs God when life is comfortable, when you're young, when you're healthy, when you're wealthy? But he says on the other end of the spectrum, you might find yourself so deprived, so poor, so desperate that you're even willing to commit sin to harm somebody else, to take, to steal from somebody else in your desperation. And in that case, according to verse 9, you profane the name of God. So what I want to talk about with the rest of our radio program is the practical defense against an abundant life. How do we deal with living in a land of plenty? It's not a sin to be a wealthy American, but there are a lot of temptations that come along with being a wealthy American, or at least being an American surrounded by other people's wealth. So what can we do to keep our abundance within reason, our souls healthy, and our spirits always content in every circumstance? The answer, in just a few words by way of introduction, is to keep things in perspective. Remember God, for He is both the one who blesses us with abundance and warns us against its evils. A primary lesson that must be understood about a life of great abundance is that it has the potential to harm. Our worldly culture would assert that there's nothing dangerous about wealth. It's harmless, it's innocent, it's desirable. It's the means of securing protection from the dangers of this world. It should be the object of all of our labors, career, job, advancement, accolades, awards, all of these things are seen as of primary importance to worldly people. One of the great dangers of wealth is that it can destroy us. It can distract us from serving the Lord to the point of spiritual loss. Go to Luke chapter 12. If you've got your Bible handy, the book of Luke is in the New Testament. Go to Luke chapter 12 
beginning in verse 16. And Jesus told them a parable, saying, The land of a certain rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? And he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And at this point, the man has done nothing wrong. He's not committed any sin up to this point. But verse 19, And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool! This very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Being physically rich was not a sin for that man. Planning for the future, investing, that was not a sin for this man. Even building bigger barns, building bigger barns out of necessity, building bigger barns as a practical concern as a business owner, still not sinful. His big problem was not in the fact of his material wealth. The big problem was that he didn't put any, any emphasis on God. He didn't invest any time in a relationship with God. The man probably didn't pray at all, perhaps. The man didn't concern himself with where he was going to be, heaven or hell. The man wasn't worried about cultivating a relationship with God because he was so busy cultivating his business and accruing his wealth. He didn't even think about God. And you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. This very night, the very night that you believed you were most at ease. The very night that you believed you had goods laid up in store for many years to come. The very night that you were going to put your feet up finally and quit working so many hours and enjoy all of your wealth and enjoy the fruit of your labor. That very night... That's when God comes calling. That's when God comes calling. Now, gluttony can also hurt us in more practical ways as well. Somebody who's excessive in everything that they do, a glutton, whether it's in food or his activities or his pursuits, a glutton is, is not only one who eats too much, it's also one who wastes in any aspect of life. People who drink too much soda or spend vast amounts of money on clothes, who, who buy toys like jet skis and boats and ATVs haphazardly without really considering the cost, without budgeting for it. But the problem is that their abundance leads to their ruin. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 19. Listen, my son, and be wise. Direct your heart in the way. Do not be with heavy drinkers of wine, with gluttonous eaters of meat. For the heavy drinker and the glutton will come to poverty, and drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. And just like with the man in Luke chapter 12, it's not that any of these things are inherently sinful, but that those who seek them obsessively or excessively will find themselves ruined and absolutely unfulfilled in their pursuits. There is no amount of money there is no barn big enough. There is no business profitable enough. There is no toy that is fun enough. There is no vacation relaxing enough to make up for a lack of spirituality and a lack of a relationship with God, as he defines it, at least in the scriptures. It's true what parents say about too much of a good thing. Indeed, abundance has the negative effect of harming us when we take something good and wholesome to an extreme. 
Like Proverbs 25 verse 16 says, Have you found honey? Eat only what you need, lest you have it in excess and vomit it. The writer is here saying that honey is itself a pretty good thing, but only in a certain amount. And you have too much of it, it ends up making you feel sick. Don't look to excess for fulfillment, my friends, because excess only leaves us sick. How many very wealthy families lose everything they have of true value because of the pursuit of abundance? And how many broken families think that more possessions will just plug the hole? Even worse, how does excess leave us feeling? Sick to our stomachs. Now we see as a theme throughout human history that societies with a great abundance of wealth and food tend to fall into the trap of great indulgence in those things. And the pattern isn't left out of the Bible, which describes the history of the Israelites in very clear detail. Almost from the very beginning of their history, they were noted for their excess and their immoderation. For example, there's a very interesting story in Numbers chapter 11. That's in the Old Testament, Numbers chapter 11. Having recently escaped the Egyptians, all of these former slaves, the Israelites, are blessed by God with a great amount of quail. They had asked for meat, and God gave them meat. The birds so thickly dot the landscape that they are in many places waist deep. The text says, The people spent all day and all night and all the next day and gathered the quail. He who gathered least gathered ten homers, and they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. While the meat was still between their teeth, before it was even chewed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord struck the people with a very severe plague. In the surplus of food, there was absolutely no moderation, but only extreme gluttony. Each person took far more than was needed and was punished for it. Isn't this similar to phenomena throughout our own land? People buy food at the grocery store and throw half of it away when it spoils in the fridge. Heartless businessmen continually drive people to poverty by their ruthless business practices. Patrons fill their plates and stomachs at buffets far beyond what the human body calls for in its desire for sustenance. We spend, we splurge, we pour out, drink up, top off, and max out everything when excess is totally uncalled for by the situation. But do we end up finding any joy in it? How many of us have heard the phrase, If I only had a little more, then I'd finally be happy. Kind of makes you wonder if this was a little bit of what went into Judas's thinking. You remember that Jesus had 12 disciples that he handpicked. These 12 disciples followed him during his earthly ministry. These individuals not only heard Jesus preach and teach, but they were given the command to do preaching and teaching of their own. They were also given the power of the Holy Spirit to perform miracles and signs and wonders to validate and back up the things that they were preaching. And among them was a man named Judas. Now Judas secretly was a betrayer, and he did have a problem with money. At one point in the gospel story, the reader is given a glimpse into the mind of Judas when we find out that he often would skim from the top of the money bag uh, that Jesus and his disciples used to to travel and take care of themselves while they were out. Whenever people would offer them donations to take care of them in their ministry, Judas would take a little bit off the top for himself because he was the one who was in control of the money bag. Later on, Jesus was betrayed by Judas for a certain price, 30 pieces of silver. Isn't it interesting then? 
that a man who suffered from greed and a man who had a money problem would betray Jesus for the very thing, for money. Maybe he thought, once I get these 30 pieces of silver, life will be easier. Or once I have these 30 pieces of silver, I'll finally be able to to invest in that thing or buy that thing or go on that vacation or do something that I've always wanted to do. Perhaps Judas didn't realize that Jesus was going to be killed. Maybe he thought he was just going to get taken in and beaten up a little bit and then sent back out. I don't know if Judas would have taken the 30 pieces of silver if he had really known that Jesus was going to be crucified. But he took the money nevertheless. He took the money. And when he did realize what the cost was, that is to say, that Jesus would die, he tried to give the money back. He threw it into the temple back at the priests, and they didn't want it. It was blood money. It was dirty money. That money didn't make Judas happy. Money didn't make King Solomon happy either. For a little bit of insight into King Solomon, you can read Ecclesiastes chapter 2, where the man talks about all of the things that he had, all of the wealth that he had, the palaces he built, the gardens he planted, the possessions that he owned, the male and female slaves, all the pleasures of men were at his fingertips. In Ecclesiastes 2, verses 9 through 11, he even says the phrase, All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. His wealth was it. That was his reward in full. He got everything that he wanted. He says in verse 10, This was my reward for all my labor. And it left him feeling empty. Vain, broken. What are we left with? If we don't have a relationship with God, if we don't seek Him, if we don't try to find the heavenly treasures, the heavenly treasures that can truly fill our souls, the treasures that we'll find in the afterlife, if we don't seek those things, and if we spend our lives only pursuing earthly treasures, what are we really left with? In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 1, The Apostle Paul says, For we know that if the earthly tent which is our house is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Houses in this life fall into disrepair. Buildings crumble. Monuments fall down. Wealth gets consumed by taxes and expenses and medical bills and that sort of thing. Food spoils and goes bad. Businesses flop. The fact is that all the things that we love and pursue so much in this physical world, they do destroy not only us, but they are destroyed themselves. Jesus said that the earthly treasures are destroyed by moth and rust. They're things that thieves can break in and steal. But your heavenly treasures, well, those things are never destroyed. And they never rust, and they can never be taken away from you. We only have a few minutes left of our radio program, so let's start wrapping this up. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 4 through 7. That's in the Old Testament, near the end of the Old Testament of your Bible. Hebrews 6, verses 4 through 7. As it describes the people here, it says, Those who recline on beds of ivory and sprawl out on their couches... They eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who improvise to the sound of the harp, 
and like David have composed songs for themselves, who drink wine from sacrificial bowls while they anoint themselves with the finest of oils, yet they have not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Having a life of luxury available to them, these people made themselves a wasteland of arrogance, laziness, and boredom. Do you see the imagery that translates so well to today? People with so much abundance that they have nothing better to do than laze about on a couch and jam on their guitar. Not only that, but they have themselves so bored by this life that they don't even open their eyes and see the ruin of their nation. An abundance of possessions and wealth averts our eyes from the problems that we need to face. Problems in our society, problems in our local communities, spiritual problems in our families. The need that we have to resolve these things, to repent of our sins, to return to God. So instead of facing our problems, we just face our wealth. And it leaves us bored, apathetic, and indifferent to the real problems. Consider a few modern examples such as kids who do no work at all but spend their time on the couch playing video games. They get no sunlight. They spend all their day in front of the computer, participating in few activities, having a room full of toys and possessions, and yet still complaining on a Saturday afternoon that I'm bored. What about adults? Men and women who have clothes that are worth hundreds of dollars and still finding an excuse to go shopping, while all the time ignoring their marital problems, the needs of saints in the church, or any other philanthropic activity that could be filling their time. The family's falling apart, and many people think that possessions are the thing that will hold it together. Now I want to emphasize one more time. Stuff is not the problem. Having possessions is not the problem. It is not inherently sinful to be wealthy. It's not inherently sinful to go shopping and buy clothes. It's not inherently sinful to play video games. But when you are doing those things to the exclusion of having a rich, full, meaningful, powerful, effective, spiritual life, that's when they become a problem. Another prophet, Haggai, in the Old Testament, says in Haggai chapter 1, verses 2 through 6, Thus says the Lord of hosts, This people says, The time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses, while this house lies desolate? Now therefore consider your ways, says the Lord of hosts. You've sown much, but harvest little. You eat, but there's not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there's not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put into a purse with holes. Now, obviously this prophecy has its own context that could be a radio program all on its own. But the lesson that I take away from that is that when you make your life all about you and all about your stuff and all about abundance and all about food and all about clothes and all about your house and you exclude other people and you exclude charity and compassion and you, worse than anything else, exclude God, you're just like what the prophet says in Haggai. There's not enough food to be satisfied. You drink, but you can never become drunk. You put on clothing, but you're never warm enough. And all that money you earn, you're just putting it into a purse with holes. It is an empty life. It is an empty life that is taking you nowhere, 
but condemnation. It is a fact that we're very wealthy in this nation, and all of that wealth and all of that abundance can either be an opportunity, an opportunity to share, an opportunity to be kind, an opportunity to prioritize properly, it can either be an opportunity or it can be a distraction. We can waste so much energy trying to find heaven on earth that we forget to pursue heaven in heaven. If you're not a Christian, then you really ought to be. If you have any questions about how to become a Christian or what's involved in the Christian life, then please reach out to Monta Vista, and we'd love to talk about this or any other spiritual subject that you have on your mind. And as always, my friends, have a very blessed day. Thank you for joining us today. To hear this program again, please visit our website at montavistacoc.com. If you're in the Phoenix area, come visit us at the Monta Vista Church of Christ. We're located at 2202 North 40th Street. We have Bible classes for all ages each Sunday morning at 9.30 and again on Wednesday night at 7. For more information about the Monta Vista Church of Christ or to request a personal Bible study, please go to montavistacoc.com. Amen.